Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 166. And today we are covering the disappearance of Lena Chapin and Gary McCullo. And this is a really wild case. We found it from Unsolved Mysteries, and it is definitely one of those unsolved mysteries where you are left just feeling frustrated and without answers, which is unfortunate. You know, and I know some people don't really like that, but I think it's really important to talk about these cases that still haven't gotten justice years later. And this spans over a really long time. So we're going to be diving into that. But before we get started, I wanted to do a quick shout out to you artistic, creative, Mm -hmm. mile higher homies that we have in the audience. We know you're there. We need merch designers. We have worked with a lot of companies and what we've realized with working with other designers that don't, that aren't our fans is that they don't really know us. We're a strange breed, you know, (laughs) this show is kind of like a weird hybrid of who knows what. (laughs) So we need someone that like really understands us and our personalities and our styles to work with us, to create artistic merch that we feel really represents us. So this will obviously be a paid gig And we have an application link in the description box if you are interested in applying. We would love to work with you, and we're excited to see all of your designs. But yeah, are you ready to get into it? Oh, today's episode is sponsored by... Function of Beauty, Modern Fertility, Adam and Eve. Ooh, I'm excited about that one. Headspace and (laughs) Candid. So People loved your last Adam and Eve ad. Oh, yeah. Oh, did one already air? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Was it spicy, Josh? (laughs) Not as spicy as today's. Oh, today's was even more well, spicy. You know, I try to keep it like PG 13, but. Oh, I see. I guess you'll just have to wait and see. I'm excited. I'll have to tune in. But let's go ahead and get into this case. So, this one's kind of a tough one to just start off at the beginning of things because there's, it's about a family essentially and a lot of sort of drama that happens and all of it really centers around the mother figure in the family, and that's Sandra Peterson. Um, she is, you know, kind of the matriarch of the family and she has a bunch of kids, six children, in fact, all girls, which are named Brandy, Lena, Robin, Jeannie, Rachel and Rosie. So Sandra was actually born on June 23rd, 1967, and she started dating from a young age and eventually got married five different times. So she actually has a bunch of different last names, which kind of gets confusing, I think, with any case when you have you know, sort of a bunch mm-hmm. of names and then a bunch of last names. And it's kind of hard to, you know, keep the name straight. And we'll do our best to try to not confuse you with all of this. So Sandra's daughter, Brandy, was the oldest, but it was actually Lena who was really in charge of all of her siblings. Lena Chapman was born on August 29th, 1985. And even from a young age, she was outgoing and confident, but also very stubborn and bossy with her sisters. They would get into serious fights, often physical fights, but they always made up. And there was genuine love between them, and Lena especially was determined to make sure they always stayed together. I mean, I can only imagine growing up with like five brothers or, you know, Mm -hmm. you grew up with a sister, so imagine having a few more and just how kind of crazy that would have been. Yeah, it already felt so crazy just me and my sister, so I can't imagine (laughs) how that would feel. Like Janelle went from having two siblings to having... Well, I'm six. One sibling. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I meant two <laughs> yeah, siblings in two her family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was two of us. Then I got three more brothers. Then I eventually got two more brothers. Yeah. So that was probably like a little yeah. shock to the sis. A little shock. 
But imagine like growing up from birth with yeah. all of those people too, like yeah. how, how much different that would be. And you really mm-hmm. would kind of d- develop this sort of hierarchy of, of who's, you know, who's kind of the top, mm-hmm. top level sister, the one that you listen to that sort of guides you. And, and that was really Lena. She mm-hmm. really kind of took leadership of, you know, her sisters and the family. Um, but the family did not have, you know, very easygoing childhood. That's for sure. It was actually rather rough because they moved around a lot. And each time their mom, Sandy, got a new boyfriend or husband, she, they just, she'd pick everybody up and just move to wherever that person was. Um, so, you know, they're constantly having to start over and, you know, try to make friends and all that. So it was a good thing that they had each other. But as soon as she would move in with a guy or marry a guy, Sandy would get bored after a year or two and then start having an affair with another guy. And men just really seemed to be drawn to Sandy. And when one caught her eye, she could start sneaking around with them. And she even made her kids lie for her to make sure she didn't get caught. I mean, how manipulative is that? Still, they viewed her, though, as a loving and caring mom who only wanted what was best for them. She worked hard and always made sure they had a roof over their heads and food on the table. But they were always poor, but they never went hungry. And Sandy never did drugs, drank, or even smoked cigarettes around her kids. And there was one thing that all the girls were sure of, was that their mom would never hurt them or anyone else on purpose. Because every night when she tucked them into bed, she told the girls, God bless you and I love you. And with all the turmoil they went through, Sandy's kids felt loved, but that didn't mean they felt secure. Lena was always paranoid that they would be taken away from Sandy. And she knew if that happened, all of them would go into different foster homes and, you know, Mm -hmm. just kind of be separated due to the foster care system. And when Sandy decided to pick up and move, the kids were usually blindsided. Every time they went to a new place, they had to change schools, make new friends, and get used to another stepfather. I mean, that's just, that's extremely tough life for sure. So Sandy's first husband was Robert Chapin. He was Lena's father, and she left him before meeting the man who would become her second husband, Albert McCullo. Albert lived across the street from Sandy and her kids in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and they got married on November 17th. 1994. Albert adored Sandy. She was warm and charming. She told people what they wanted to hear and they couldn't help falling in love with her. She was just a charmer. (laughs) And he also loved her kids. He was a good stepfather and took care of the girls while Sandy went back to school and earned her degree in nursing. He got involved in things like organized sports and their gymnastics. And Albert was more of a father to them than any other father they had ever known. And for years, everyone was happy. But then Sandy started to have an affair and not with just anybody. Actually, Albert's brother, Gary, she started having an affair with their uncle, Gary, which is oh, just man. great. It's a spicy thing to do to a family. Yeah, that's that's very. Mm. I think that just goes to show to like Sandy's mind state. Like she's just all about herself, like clearly, oh, yeah. clearly not thinking about anybody else but her and what she wanted to like just jump to a brother like that. Like, yeah pretty messed up so albert found out about this and he ended up confronting him about it in front of sandy and then they brawled it out they got in a fist fight so violent that sandy picked up a big stick and started bashing albert in the back to get him off of gary after that albert told his brother that sandy was nothing but trouble and that they should just both stay away from her but gary did not listen to his brother's advice and they decided to go and start a new life together. So on May 22nd, 1996, Sandy moved her kids back to Missouri to live on his farm in Cassville. 
They got married just before Christmas, December 21st, 1996. And at that point, Gary went from being step-uncle to step-father. Awkward. Yeah, good God. And despite the unusual circumstances, Sandy's kids really liked Gary. Gary taught them how to cut wood and take care of the animals on the farm. Gary had a day job at George's Incorporated Chicken Processing Plant in Butterfield, Missouri. And when times were tough, he would go hunting after work to shoot their dinner. Mm -hmm. He was a true provider, and he loved having kids on the farm. After they were done with their farm chores, he would take them all out for ice cream. They did say it was quite an adjustment of, you know, to go from Albert to him because Gary made them work a lot harder, but they also respected him. Mm. But they were putting in mad hours. Into yeah, farm work is hard, man. Oh. Yeah. It's not easy work, especially for, for young kids, you know. Mm -hmm. And together, all of them lived on the farm for about three years. And that was as long as Sandy could stay with one man. <laughs> because in March of 1999, Sandy started having an affair with a man named Christopher Klemp. Christopher Klemp. Chris came from a wealthy family that owned a lot of property. He was also younger than Gary and a bit more handsome. And he spelled it Christopher with a K. Yeah. So it's like Christopher Klemp. It's very like Chris Kardashian yes. vibes. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's very like <laughs> bougie, I feel like. Gary liked to stay home and work on the farm, but Chris was new and exciting, which was just what Sandy was looking for after three years of boring family farm life. Yeah. Plus, this guy was rich. Exactly. Even while cheating on him, when Gary would go out hunting or even to visit his parents, Sandy would accuse Gary of seeing other women. They say that happens a lot, that cheaters will start accusing their partners of cheating as well. Right. And that obviously made Gary suspicious. He's like, okay, I'm clearly not doing that, but why is this even like coming out of your mm -hmm. mouth? So he got suspicious and eventually Gary caught Sandy with Chris parked in his pickup truck. That must have been quite the experience. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Sandy also caused serious financial problems. She stopped making the house payments without telling him, and he discovered he was on the brink of foreclosure. He told his supervisor not to give his paycheck to his wife anymore. If she had a note, it was forgery at that point. And that's exactly what happened. Gary was arrested for passing bad checks, which was all done by Sandy but she did it in his name, so he ended up catching the charge for it. Gary called his friend Richard Anderson, who is also an attorney, and he told him about the affair and the bad checks. And he knew at that point that he had to divorce Sandy. She was just derailing his life, but he was absolutely heartbroken because he, he did love Sandy and her kids. Even after she lied, cheated, and got him arrested, he was just still more hurt than angry. He started secretly bringing some of his belongings to friends' houses, preparing to leave Sandy. But he never got the chance to file for divorce. So then in mid-May of 1999, Gary missed several days of work without calling in sick. And his friends and co-workers knew that he would never do that. He was not only too responsible, but they also knew he just couldn't afford to just not show up for work. On May 13th, his cousin Robert McCullough contacted the Barry County Sheriff's Office and told them that Gary hadn't been seen by anyone since May 11th. Detective Brian Martin and another officer went to Gary's farm to do a welfare check. And when they got there, one of the cows was out just wandering around. And as they were leading it back, Sandy pulled up. So instead of telling Sandy that they were looking for Gary, Brian ended up asking her if there was anything she needed to report. And Sandy casually replied and said that she meant to call. She said her husband had gone to Diamond, Missouri, less than an hour away 
And apparently he went down there to purchase fighting roosters. He left around 630 on May 11th and never came back. And that's all she knew. I have a lot of questions. Same. Why did he need fighting roosters? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why she'd say fighting roosters. I get get needing a rooster, but saying fighting roosters is kind of odd. And Maybe I think he it was, was into that. Yeah, yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, it is. Yeah, People do not, fire roosters. It's not great. Which, yeah. No, hmm. it's not. But it's it's interesting that the officer or the detective Brian, the fact that he was smart in that moment to be like, you know, not just be like, where's Gary, but mm-hmm. instead to ask her like, hey, like what's going on mm-hmm. or, you know, just to see if he could detect any suspicion. And I'm sure he was very suspicious by the fact that she casually replies, oh, yeah, he went down, you know, down yeah. the diamond to, to get some fighting roosters and never came back and be like, what, what do you get yeah. to fight with the rooster? Like, what, what the <laughs> hell? Like that would have been very suspicious. I think very after they talked some more, she agreed to file a missing persons report for Gary, who was 34 years old at the time. On May 14th, investigators found Gary's truck abandoned on a dead end road near Pulaski field in Barry County. I gotta say some of these names of these towns down here in, in Arkansas are, wow. are very interesting. Mm-hmm. Pulaski field. Well, people probably think our towns That's are true. crazy too. Yeah. <laughs> I just did a case on Salida and everyone's calling it Salida. That's true. Mm. I guess there's weird. I say things everywhere. wrong in my videos and podcasts all the time. People are always like, it's so funny how you're saying whatever. <laughs> After the police find Gary's truck, obviously they want to do a full search of the property and search the house. But Sandy would not allow it, which was very weird to the police because it's a missing persons case. Obviously, they need to go look through Gary's things to try to figure out, you know, where he may have went. A week after Gary was reported missing, they finally got a search warrant for Gary and Sandy's house and property. An investigator spent several hours searching and discovered that all of Gary's clothes were gone and there was absolutely nothing in the house that belonged to him. It was almost as if he had never lived there. I think a red flag went up at that point because it's very, very weird. He's going down to get fighting roosters and what took his entire belongings and just vacated the premises. Like he like moved somewhere to live the fighting rooster life. I guess what she's trying to set up here. Just like that. That doesn't make any sense at all. Hmm. Police found a checkbook that belonged to Chris Klemp, who they learned was Sandy's new boyfriend. And within a few days of all this, Chris moved into the house so at that point, you know, suspicions going only up and up and investigators decided to search the surrounding wooded areas and drag the ponds in order to look for a body and found nothing. Sheriff Mick Epperly asked Sandy to take a polygraph and without skipping a beat, she replied, you find a body and I'll take a polygraph. Wow. Yeah, that's almost like an admission of guilt. I feel. Oh, like, it to is. Be like it definitely find is. a body and I'll talk. But until then, it's like a I'm threat. Gonna like anything. you're not yeah. going to ever catch me because I've hidden the body really well. Exactly. When they talked to Sandy's children, they were hostile toward the police and fiercely defended their mom, especially Lena. The detectives could tell that Lena was Sandy's number two, and whatever she said, the other girls listened. Lena told her sisters not to talk about Gary with anyone not even the police, so they all stayed silent. Gary's brother Albert and his friend Jeff Allen both knew that it was too late, that Gary was dead. The last time Jeff saw Gary, he knew things had gotten bad, as Gary brought over his gun and asked Jeff to hold on to it for him. He explained that on April 30th, 1999, two and a half years into their marriage, Gary and Sandy were in a huge fight, 
and things escalated. And she actually pulled the gun on him and she held it against his stomach and actually pulled the trigger. Gary never kept his guns loaded, but the threat was clear. Jeff then realized that there was actually a shell in the gun and he used pliers in order to remove the shell and realized that there was actually gunpowder in the shell. So it was in fact a live mm-hmm. round that just misfired. And it was know, an accident that he's still alive at that right, point. Exactly. Yeah. That she probably would have killed him. The chances of that are insane. I know. That makes me wonder like, was there higher power like looking out for him or something like that? That's I know. crazy. And then literally two weeks after this whole incident happens, Gary just disappears without a trace. Sandy refused to cooperate with the investigation and the police were obviously very suspicious of her. But at this point, there's no physical evidence that she had harmed Gary at all. The only thing they could charge her with was selling mortgaged cattle, but that was later dropped. Investigators found evidence that Chris had tried to hire a man named Steve Turner to kill Gary days before he disappeared. And in June 1999, he was charged with conspiracy to commit murder, but by August, the charges were dropped. And at that point, Sandy and Chris moved with her kids to St. Louis for a year to escape the local gossip and publicity. In April 2000, about a year after Gary went missing, Sandy was granted a dissolution of marriage from Gary, and her and Chris got married the following month. And then the two of them took the family and settled in Sligo in Dent County, which is about 200 miles away from Barry County. So it's like they're clearly distancing themselves from yep. where the crime scene likely happened. Starting over again, trying to pretend things didn't happen in the past. But then things take an absolutely wild turn with Lena. And before mm-hmm. we get into that, we're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be right back. So Lena was in high school at the time and living with her mom and her younger sisters. She was working multiple jobs and trying to save up money. Her sisters, Brandy and Robin, were worried about her. They were the three oldest and were very close. And Lena started to kind of pull away from them. And she was barely eating around this time and had a lot of trouble sleeping. She seemed distant, anxious, and would often just stare off into space. And when they asked her what was wrong, Lena would brush tears away and change the subject. She started partying all the time. And eventually started drinking and doing drugs. She got in trouble with the police, dropped out of school, and started drifting further away from her sisters. And it was really hard for them. And when she was 17, she ended up confiding in her boyfriend that she knew what happened to Gary McCullo. And it was eating her up inside. Her boyfriend told her that she absolutely had to go to the police. Gary's family just deserved to know. But she was too scared and would only agree to talk directly with his brother, you know, her ex-stepfather, Albert. She met with him at his house on June 26, 2003, and Albert ended up secretly recording the conversation. And they actually played it on the Unsolved Mysteries episode, and it was really interesting to hear this play out. I mean, it's, it's such an awkward conversation, and it took so much for her to come to him and say that. Yeah. And it turns out, you know, she was actually there when it happened. So it was even more stressful for her to go forward and tell him, but she did. And after talking for a while, he asked her directly who killed Gary. And Lena said, mom, I'm pretty sure that this is an exclusive clip to the Unsolved Mysteries franchise. So we are not going to play it because it'll get copyrighted and this episode could get taken down. But if you want to hear it, it is pretty interesting. It's on Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll also re- basically read you what was said. She said on May 11th, 1999, Gary was home with Sandy and the kids were all at school. 
Gary was sitting on the couch eating some scrambled eggs when Sandy walked in holding a loaded gun and shot him three times in the head. She then wrapped his body with plastic, hay strings, and dragged him into his bedroom. When Lena and her sisters came home that day, Sandy stopped them on the porch, and she said that there were kittens in the field and told them to go find them. So they went off to find the kittens. Brandy's job was to milk the cows, and she needed to go get supplies from inside the house, though. So while her younger sisters ran to the field, she went in, and she saw Sandy on her hands and knees scrubbing the floor, and she noticed the whole house smelled like bleach. Brandy knew that something was wrong. Sandy had her hair back in a ponytail, which she noticed because her mom never did that. That night, Sandy sat them all at the table and said, if anyone asks, Gary went to go buy a fighting rooster and you guys had spaghetti for dinner that night and you haven't seen him since. That's what the story is. If you say exactly what I'm telling you, everything will be fine. After her sisters went to bed, Sandy made Lena sit outside of their door and warned her not to look in her and Gary's bedroom. But she already looked, and she saw that Gary's body was just lying there on the floor. And while Lena guarded the door, Robin was awake in her bed. She knew something wasn't right, and she looked out the window. She saw her mother and Chris in the darkness, carrying something heavy, wrapped in a tarp, out to the truck. She recognized the boots sticking out of one end in the rolled-up tarp. It was Gary. She knew that he was dead and that she was terrified. Later, Lena ended up telling her and their other sisters that they would be separated and put into foster care if they said anything about Gary to anyone. They would never see each other again. So Robin decided to keep her secret for many years. And as Lena is explaining all this to Gary, she's just trembling. And Albert knew that she was telling the truth. He asked her how they could verify that Gary was really dead And she said it was impossible because his body had been burned on their farm. It turns out on May 13th, Sandy pulled Lena out of school early that day and made her sift through ashes to help her find pieces of bone. And she remembers burning her fingertips on the hot ashes. How traumatizing is that? Yeah, that's crazy. After that, she helped her mom put the bones in buckets and then spread them all over. Then they dug out the burn pile, removing several inches of dirt to make sure all the traces of Gary were gone. She went in and bleached the floors. And then Lena helped throw out all the rugs and get Gary's clothes and possessions out of the house as if he never existed. And when she was done with her story, Albert assured her that she wasn't a bad person because it was clear she felt really bad. And this was weighing on her. I mean, she was just a kid doing what her mom told her to do at the time. And she feared that her family would be ruined by all of this. And at the time, she felt like she had no other choice. He ended up giving the recording of Lena's confession to the sheriff, confident that they finally had proof that Sandy murdered Gary. But Sandy found out about the confession, and she hired a lawyer for Lena, who then refused to talk to the police. So the investigation was stalled. Unless Lena decided to cooperate with the police, the recording was useless. Now all they had were suspicions and circumstantial evidence at best. Yeah, because it becomes like he said, she said type yep. of thing. And there's no way they can you know, bring that to a jury. So, Which we know this is going to put Lena in a very dangerous position, potentially. And one inconsistency in Lena's story was related to Gary's truck. She claimed that she had ridden in his truck shortly before he disappeared. And she didn't want to be seen, so she sat on the floor on the passenger side. But when Gary's truck was found, 
There was so much debris that it was obvious that no one had been on the passenger side in the front seat for a long time. It was suspicious that Chris moved into the house so quickly as well. That only made sense if he knew Gary was never coming back. Gary was a big guy. He weighed about 240 pounds, and they knew that Lena had to have help moving the body. Chris's ex-wife, Jennifer, corroborated at least some of Lena's story. She said that she had dropped Chris off at Sandy's house shortly after Gary was supposedly murdered. When she picked him up at 3.30 a.m., it was like he was a different person. He ran over to her car and jumped in like he was being chased. He looked scared. Investigators believe that Chris had just helped burn Gary's body. Jennifer also claimed that when she was in a heated argument with Chris, he said, I can't worry about this stuff right now. I've got to worry about killing a man. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. It's really wild. For years, Brandy pushed away thoughts that her mom might have had something to do with Gary's disappearance. She didn't believe her mom could ever hurt anyone, and she was positive she wasn't capable of murder. But all that changed when she learned the truth from Lena. Unable to hold it any longer, Lena confessed everything. She said that Sandy shot Gary and then burned his body for three days to break down his bones. And then Lena helped spread the ashes. She also said that Sandy had tried to poison Gary with Drano about a week before she shot him. Brandy was completely floored and she couldn't believe it. But at the same time, she knew Lena wasn't lying. She promised she wouldn't say anything to Sandy. But the next day, she decided to confront her. And they got into a huge fight. And Brandy threatened to tell the police everything. Lena was at the house and was angry that Brandy had broken her promise. And ended up pushing her into a mirror, which sliced open Brandy's pinky finger. Sandy stayed calm through the whole thing and quietly told Brandy to get in the truck. She then got in the back of the truck and Sandy and Chris got in the front. She assumed they were taking her to a hospital, which was about 45 minutes away. But instead, they stopped on a dark road about two miles away. Chris got out and held a gun to her head, and Brandy thought she was about to die. She believed Chris was going to pull the trigger. Obviously, she was terrified. She was screaming and begging for her life, while Sandy was just sitting there silently watching. And she remembers her mom just looking like dead at that point, just like no emotion at all. And in the moment, Brandy had to think quickly. She had no idea where they were, so she couldn't run. And she had nothing to protect herself or even fight back with. She did the only thing she could to save her own life. She got in the truck with her mom, wrapped her arms around her, and got as close to her as she could. So that Chris, if he was going to shoot her, would have to shoot the both of them. Brandy then squeezed her mom as tight as she could and cried out, please don't let him hurt me. How sad is that? And her mom is just sitting there. She didn't even react right away. She was sitting there for like 10 to 20 seconds, according to Brandy while Chris is just holding the gun at them. And then finally she said, don't hurt my baby. And Chris obeyed her. He put the gun away and they all drove home. Sandy and Chris went into their bedroom and shut the door. And then about 30 minutes later, Sandy came out and told Brandy to go into the room. Chris had something to say to her. When she went in there, Chris was sitting on the bed. He was slumped over, holding his head in his hands. He was shaking and sobbing. Sandy ordered Chris to get up and apologize to Brandy. When he moved his hands, Brandy saw that his face was swollen and red. Wow. So she probably yeah, beat put his, a beat, yeah. beat down on him. He told her that he was sorry for everything, crying the whole time. Brandy looked at her mom. She stood calmly without a tear in her eye. Sandy told Chris to give Brandy a big hug, and he obeyed. Brandy now knew that it was her mother who was pulling the strings. She had ordered Chris to shoot her. 
but he couldn't do it. She knew that if she ever told anyone what she knew about Gary, Sandy would kill her or have her killed. She finally understood that by confessing to Albert, Lena had literally risked her life. The next day, Brandy packed a bag and moved to St. Louis and never went back to her mom's house ever again. That's just insane. I know. So much trauma. This poor family. I know. So about four months after Lena's confession to Albert, she gave birth to a baby boy, Coulter, who was born on November 3rd, 2003. And after that, Lena lived only for Coulter. She worked multiple jobs to provide for him and give him the stable childhood she never had. And for a few years, she was settled and happy. She had a serious boyfriend named Jason Bryant, and they eventually got engaged. The couple moved in together in an apartment near Steelville, Missouri, in Dent County, and were planning to move to Arkansas. And for the first time in her life, she was financially independent, and she didn't have to rely on her mom to take care of her, which was a huge threat to Sandy. Sandy had always wanted a boy, but ended up with six girls. And from the day she found out Coulter was a boy, she thought of him as her own son. When she took Coulter out, she introduced him to people as her baby and even had Coulter call her mom. Whenever Lena seemed to be struggling, Sandy tried to convince her that Coulter would be better off with her. She even tried to talk Lena into granting her legal guardianship, but she refused to give up her son, saying Sandy would have custody of Coulter over my dead body. Now with Lena moving further away, Sandy felt like she was taking her son away from her. What a freak. Also around this time, Gary was officially declared deceased in 2005. On June 26, 2006, his daughters filed a civil lawsuit for wrongful death against Sandy and Chris, alleging that Lena was an accessory after the fact for helping get rid of the body. Albert was hopeful that Lena could get immunity for testifying against her mother and Chris. Dent County Sheriff's deputies delivered the court summons to Sandy and Chris on July 7, 2006, and Lena had been subpoenaed to testify against Sandy, but no one seemed to know where she was. Robin went to Lena and Jason's apartment in Steelville to look for her, and it turned out he hadn't seen Lena in months. Mm. After she disappeared, Sandy told Jason that Lena left him and that she just ran off to Florida with some guy in a black 2000 Chevy Cavalier. She also left Coulter with her mom and didn't say when or even if she'd be back. Which she never would have done that. That is, yeah, that's just a blatant lie. Mm -hmm. Jason apparently believed this story, though, and when Lena's sister Robin tried to find her, she told her the same thing. But Lena didn't take any of her clothes or any of her belongings. Mm -hmm. She even left her photo albums, which her sisters knew were very important to her. She would never leave without those. But obviously the most suspicious thing of all is the fact that she left Coulter with Sandy. And that was just like, the red flag like mm-hmm. she would never Mm-mm. leave culture with her mom especially sandy yeah mm-hmm. robin remembered what she'd seen outside her bedroom window so many years ago her mom and chris struggling to carry something she remembered seeing gary's boots just hanging out of whatever they were carrying and being scared out of her mind she had a terrible feeling that her mother had done something similar to lena sandy had told brandy the story about lena running off with some guy But Brandy knew it wasn't true. She and Lena were very close. They told each other everything. And if she had a secret boyfriend, she definitely would have known about it. When her story was questioned, Sandy and Lena didn't want anything to do with any of them and claimed that she had said terrible things about her sisters before running away. She was trying to drive a wedge between them so that they would focus on fighting instead of looking for Lena. They didn't know what to do, so they just waited to see if she would come back. 
Robin made a missing persons flyer to try to find her sister and posted them all over her town. But she found out that Sandy was actually paying the younger sisters $5 a piece to tear them down. And she called her mom to confront her about it, demanding to know why she would want to do that unless she's guilty of something. And Sandy tried to reassure her, talking in a soothing voice that Robin knew was fake, but it didn't work this time. She told her mom that she was going to find out what really happened and make sure she rots. Brandy had warned Lena multiple times to be careful around Sandy, but Lena never believed her mom would actually hurt her. She was always her favorite child. A week before she disappeared, Lena went shopping with Sandy, actually. And Lena saw Brandy the next day and told her that while they were out shopping, she suddenly felt dizzy and her vision was so blurry that she couldn't see her hands in front of her face. Lena asked Sandy to take her home, but even the next day, she still had a terrible headache and didn't understand why and what was happening. But looking back, Brandy believed that Sandy tried to poison Lena on that shopping trip. And so she felt so guilty for not realizing all that time that her sister was in danger. Lena was finally reported missing by Robert Chapin, her biological father, in November 2008. He talked to Sheriff Mick Epperly of the Barry County Sheriff's Office. And when Mick searched the National Crime Information Center, he discovered that there had been no activity on her social security number for nearly three years. So he tried to file a missing and endangered report for Lena in Dent County, her last place of residence. But officers there refused. And they didn't start investigating her disappearance until 2012. And they also didn't even notify the officers in Barry County, which is very strange. Detective Rick Letchworth questioned Lena's family members and her boyfriend Jason to try to put together a timeline. Sandy, however, refused to cooperate with the investigation at all. The last time Jason saw Lena was on February 14, 2006, and that morning he kissed her goodbye before going to work. When he got home later that day, Sandy was in his apartment with two other people. She said Lena left him and sent her to get her things. Sandy later said that Lena had joined a carnival in Florida and was never coming back. So Jason moved out of the apartment they shared. After he left, the owner found a broken window and a large dark colored stain on the floor. She tried to clean it, but nothing worked. And when she ripped up the carpet to replace it, the stain had leaked through to the wooden floor below. And later she told investigators, it looked like someone had killed a hog there. So it was basically bloodstained. Someone who moved there later on accidentally started a fire by smoking a cigarette in the bed and the apartment was destroyed by the fire. So at that point, there was no chance of getting any DNA evidence. A person on Reddit claiming to be Brandy clarified that the stain was from a miscarriage Lena had in the apartment. She and Robin were with her and tried to call an ambulance, but Lena refused to go to the hospital, which this is unconfirmed. We don't know for sure if it is or not. Detective Letchworth then interviewed Lena's family members and the Florida story could always be traced back to Sandy. Robin finally got the courage to talk about what she had seen the night Gary was killed, and she told police she was afraid her mom killed Lena too. Brandy told the police that Lena had to disappear because she knew what happened to Gary. She could confess again at any time, and Sandy couldn't let that happen. She believed Sandy finally had exactly what she wanted, as Lena was no longer a threat to her, and Coulter was all hers. Once Lena was gone, Sandy filed abandonment charges against Lena, and when she failed to show up for court, the judge handed over custody of Coulter to Sandy. That's unbelievable. She's like set the whole thing up. Yep, and has been setting up things for years. 
just so, like whatever she wants in life, she just figures out a way to get it. Yeah, just manipulates no matter everybody, how she has, everything she has to kill. in yeah. her favor. It's just absolutely mm -hmm. crazy. So let's get into the trial of the wrongful death lawsuit. Before we get into that, though, take one more ad break and we'll be right back. In July of 2013, a judge heard the wrongful death lawsuit filed by Gary's daughters, April Chandler and Joy Makulo. Lena's confession tape was not allowed to be submitted as evidence, but the jury did hear testimony from Sandy's own children who implicated her in Gary's murder. Two of the children had seen Gary's truck parked outside their home on the night he disappeared. And it was at that time that Sandy claimed he was in Diamond buying fighting roosters. Brandy's testimony was powerful. She could say the most because she didn't rely on anything from her mother anymore. She was financially independent and wanted nothing to do with her. She described in heartbreaking detail the night Sandy and Chris drove her to the middle of nowhere and she believed she was about to die. So scary. She described the blank look on her mom's face as she begged for her life. Literally, as she's telling the story in court, members of the jury were wiping away tears. Talking openly about the trauma she had been through was a huge step for her. She knew it was something she had to do because Gary's family deserved to know what happened to him. The jury deliberated for less than an hour and reached a unanimous verdict which is rare in a civil case. Mm -hmm. Even without a body, they found Sandy and Chris liable for Gary's death and ordered them to pay $8 million to his daughters. But in many cases where this happens, no money has ever been paid out. Isn't that wild? There's like no way to make people yeah. actually pay it at the end of the day. Yeah. Or if they so even have the money. So never get their settlements. But after all this happened, in 2014, Sandy divorced Chris. Four years later, in 2018, she remarried for the fifth time to a man named Joe Wink in Mount Vernon, Missouri, and changed her name to Sandy Wink. Brandy plans to tell Coulter the truth about Sandy and what happened to his mother when he's older. According to Brandy, Sandy changed Coulter's last name and birth certificate. She also burned all the pictures she had of Lena, Robin, and Brandy and told her younger daughters to never speak of their sisters in front of Coulter. That's terrible. Literally just trying to erase it from her past. Yeah. And for years, Coulter believed Sandy was his biological mother. When she finally told him about Lena, Sandy said she was a drug addict who just abandoned him. That's oh my oh God. My God. so heartbreaking. This yeah. poor kid now is dragged into this too. Imagine the trauma he's facing after finding, his, finding out his mother is not his mother and then thinking his mother's a bad person. Meanwhile, she was murdered by his grandma who is now being raised by I mean, What a trip. How do you even deal with that? Ugh. Brandy, on the other hand, has vowed to keep searching for Lena. But she knows wherever she is, it's not going to be easy to find her. When Lena disappeared, Sandy had access to two properties. She and Chris lived on the Kemp Farm in Sligo from August 2000 to March 2006. And then they moved to an 80-acre ranch north of Salem, and they stayed there until November 2014. Brandy and Robin were able to talk to the current owners of these two properties and got permission to search them. And when Brandy visited the farm in Sligo, she realized that a hand-dug well used to be on the property was no longer there and had been filled in. Robin remembered that after Sandy and Chris moved to the ranch near Salem, she said they buried her dog Toby near the trees in the front of the house. But Toby died before they moved, and Sandy had previously told Robin they buried the dog on top of a hill under a tree on the Sligo farm. Detective Letchworth searched the area using a ground-penetrating radar device, which this device will show anywhere the ground has been disturbed. After searching for a day, nothing was found, not even an area where the dog could be buried. Brandy and Robin were both interviewed for the Unsolved Mysteries episode in 2020, and both Sandy and Chris declined to be interviewed at all. After the episodes aired, Brandy clarified via Facebook posts 
that she doesn't blame Chris Klemp for the disappearance of Gary Erlina. She said Sandy had lied to Chris about Gary, claiming that he was abusive and would severely beat her. Mm-hmm. Sandy also told Chris she was pregnant with his baby to further manipulate him. The case files for Gary's murder and Lena's disappearance were given to the crime analysis unit at the Missouri State Highway Patrol. Investigators there have time and resources to go over all the evidence and build an accurate timeline. Investigators in Barry County and Dent County are still actively investigating both cases. Mm-hmm. So this is still a very active investigation, and I, I hope. I hope it's active. Yeah. That's well, so true. Yeah, that's true. Just because they say it's open doesn't mean yeah. they're actively mm-hmm. working on it. But mm-hmm. what's what's cool is that after the episode aired on Unsolved Mysteries, the police department's got twenty credible tips as a yeah, result. That's amazing credible tips and they probably got flooded with hundreds but mm-hmm. 20 credible ones out of that that's pretty solid it really is and i think that this is going to be solved i think that i don't think this is going to be you know unsolved forever you don't think so no because like yeah like sandy smart clearly she thought through all of this and like mm-hmm. she so like let's talk about what happened to lena most likely probably the same thing that happened to gary right right you would think that if they haven't found any trace of Lena by now, mm-hmm. it's likely that either she's was put into this well that's been filled in that is just mm-hmm. no longer there, or just like Gary, her remains were burned and then scattered everywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, what evidence other than that could they possibly find if they can't to help convict? Yeah, that's true. What physical evidence is there left? I don't know. And, and of course, he, yeah. So who knows if it'll ever get solved unless someone has something out there or has that piece of evidence or some camera footage or a, ra- a doorbell. I mean, mm-hmm. well, it's I guess it's been a while. I don't know. But Gary's family is actually offering a reward for information that leads to an arrest of his killer. And if you guys have any information out there, contact the Barry County Sheriff's Office at 417-847-6556. If you have information about Lena's disappearance or presumed death, you can contact the Dent County Sheriff's Office at 573-729-3241. I mean, it's pretty clear that Lena didn't just leave on her own accord no. and just go no. go to Florida she or knew too leave much. everything behind. She was literally helped. She was part of the murder in a, a way, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Sandy Obviously, knew. Sandy's going to do what she has to do. She was almost willing to s- sit there while her young, one of her youngest children was almost shot in the head. And it turns out, like, most likely she planned that to happen. Yeah. She you was think, the leader of it. So. Do you think Sandy murdered Lena? Like, yeah. actually mm-hmm. pulled the trigger and did it? Well, or did, I mean, is I there somebody else involved that just hasn't? Or that's is it true. Chris? Because she made Chris do her dirty work before. So maybe it was Chris. Or it could have been some someone else. She could have had other boyfriends. Who knows with her? She seemed like she kind of thrived on keeping secrets and lying her way through everything. So it's just yeah. hard to believe that there is absolutely no physical evidence of remains left on those properties. Or I, know. I mean, that's the thing is, I guess we don't even know where they actually burned. It. I mean, it may not even yeah. be on those properties. That's and the hard it's thing. Hard is with it's, time. Yeah, it's a needle in a haystack essentially. Mm-hmm. But it's like how they get fires hot enough to melt like dissolve bone like that's that's, that's very true. hard to do but clearly they did but because for three days lena we heard the recording of lena talking about this and she would have no reason to lie about what they did especially mm-hmm. to his brother when she's finally coming forward so the, clearly that's what they did yeah and i guess it didn't help that this is all remote you know kind of rural areas of 
yeah you know these counties where this is happening and Mm -hmm. very limited police presence and things like that so it's very easy to pull Mm -hmm. something off like this Mm -hmm. and have nobody know that's what i'm just thinking is like nobody noticed the fire burning for three days or and we're wondering what's going on burn like on farms you have fires all the time to burn trash and stuff too right yeah yeah, or burn weeds. Or, I mean, who knows what people are doing? And yeah. people like in those areas often leave their neighbors alone. Mm-hmm. It's like you're on right, your own property, right. you're doing your thing. Keep to yourself in a lot of areas, you know? Yeah, it's true. But if you see something weird like that, a fire burning for three days, yeah, you definitely should make a note of it at least Yeah. to police. But I mean, an 80-acre property is pretty big, so there's not going to be any neighbors around for Right, yeah, huge. that too huge area maybe no one even saw it i was gonna say i doubt anyone even saw it yeah because it's probably in the middle of their property yep no one's on their property yeah exactly you know it's like no way to know yeah that's why there's so many unsolved murders out there especially in these i know it's just so wild because every you know we're all sitting here like we know what happened we know exactly who did it and yet they can't do anything they can't just go and she gets to just live her life and and steal her kid and just continue like nothing ever happened mm-hmm. when i wonder what's going on with her son now yeah or if since unsolved mysteries aired if he has seen it or someone talked to him about it or i don't know yeah oh, i Probably feel be pretty hard him. to process That's all horrible. that yeah How or do even know what begin? to believe i mean she's a clearly a ma- sandy's clearly a master manipulator i mean yeah. she is just one of those people that are God. the most dangerous kind horrible person yeah but that is it for us today we'll wrap it up there hopefully you found this case interesting and again if you know anything or you know you see anything that might be of interest to the police we'll put the information below also make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on apple Podcasts and youtube Mm -hmm. we really appreciate it It does really help us out as well as ratings and reviews we love seeing your guys' feedback on everything but yeah we'll be back next week with another episode of the mile higher podcast and until then Keep on taking your mind a mile higher.